Welcome to Smart Talk. I'm Ben Allen in for Scott Lamar. The unemployment rate in Pennsylvania has been climbing in the past couple of months, though it's still close to what experts consider full employment, 5%. Just recently, left-leaning think tank the Keystone Research Center released its annual report on the state of working Pennsylvanians. How much money are they making and what policies might spur job growth? There's a lot to get into, and we've got Stephen Herzenberg. He's the executive director of the group, and he joins us in studio. Thanks for joining us. Great to be here. Also in studio is James Paul. He's the senior policy analyst with the right-leaning Commonwealth Foundation, which has also examined the unemployment picture in Pennsylvania. Thanks for being here, James. Good morning, Ben. All right, so, Stephen, let me start with you. Um, big report. It's an annual report that, that uh, your group does. What do you see in this data regarding wages in Pennsylvania? Well, we did. Uh, we took a look in a different way this year than in previous years. Um, we are in the middle of one of the most divisive um, presidential election campaigns that the U.S. has had. And there's clearly a lot of anger out in the electorate um, and a lot of division based on race, ethnicity, gender. Um, so we decided, hey, let's take a look at wages for basically every uh, combination of race, ethnicity, gender, education level. Right. And let's take a long view, going back to 1979, um, at what's happening to wages. Um, and we really we found s s three things. Um, the, the first thing is um, our report validates people's sense of frustration and anger. Basically, in every uh, combination of, of uh, race, gender, ethnicity, education level, virtually every group, virtually every group in Pennsylvania has not done well recently. Um, so, for example, white men, and there's a lot of discussion in the election about white men, have seen their wages fall by uh, over $2 an hour in inflation-adjusted terms in the last 36 years. Not an increase, but a significant decline. That's more than, uh, it's about $4,500 less a year if you work full-time, full year. So, our report really um, validates the sense of grievance of white men in Pennsylvania. Partly explains why we're a swing state. But the second part of our report is whatever group you're in, um, on the one hand, you're right that your wages have either stagnated or declined, and that's even true for college-educated edu groups since 2000. But the second point is if you're blaming another group and you think they're taking some of the opportunities that are rightfully yours, for the most part, that's wrong, unless you're talking about the 1%, because that's the only group that's done well over the long period of time. So, for example, black men in Pennsylvania. Black men are the one group that has done substantially worse <laughs> than white men. So their wages have gone down uh, nearly $8,000 a year for somebody who works full-time, full year since the late 1970s. So... We're really pushing explicitly back on divide and conquer. We're telling people, don't get angry with each other. Recognize that m too much of the gains of economic growth are going to the top. Going to the top, uh, the top one percent alone has garnered slightly more than half the gains in Pennsylvania income since the since 1979. So our third point is policy. <laughs> uh, the reason that. Um, we see the trends we see. Uh, it's because, to use one of Donald Trump's favorite terms, the economy has been rigged to benefit the 1%. So the end of our report kind of lays out 
um, two different policy agendas. So we've got an agenda to raise Pennsylvania's pay, which basically, yeah, we want to rake the economy a little bit more to help regular working people. Uh, because in the end, any economy has a set of rules, and uh, those uh, just shape the nature of competition. So we want to shape the nature of competition. So a rising tide lifts all boats again. And we contrast that. Uh, with uh, the agenda of uh, some parts of the Pennsylvania legislature and uh, uh, my colleague here, J James Paul from the Commonwealth Foundation, they're very explicit about a very different set of policy mm -hmm. ideas. And at least we think when you look at their policy ideas, what they really are is an agenda to lower Pennsylvania's pay. I mean, I'll dig into that later, but uh, that's, that's, that's the basic overview. We want people to come together uh, in Pennsylvania uh, behind an agenda to raise middle class pay. Um, if we don't do that, then um, working families are going to get more of the negative trends of the last several decades. And, and James will certainly have you address kind of um, some of the some of the things that came up uh, right there. But one of the things when I first looked at this, and frankly, I was surprised. I looked from two thousand the the percent change that uh, the Keystone Research Center put together from two thousand two uh, or two thousand to twenty thirteen twenty fifteen. And not a single group, not a single group in Pennsylvania saw their median hourly wage increase. Right. Not a single group. That's men, white, black, Hispanic, with bachelor's degrees, women, white, black, Hispanic, with or without bachelor's degrees. How much of this is local, state, national policies, and how much of this is globalization? And this is how things kind of go when you have a global economy. There, uh, go ahead. Either, well, either. We, well, we would say it's policy. So it's okay. not. It's forces we can control, national policy and state policy. But, James, your turn. Well, look, there's no doubt that Pennsylvania's economy is not as dynamic as it needs to be. Right. Look, we're in agreement about that. And I, and I would say this, too. We are all in agreement that we want the best possible Pennsylvania for our families, for our friends. We want a place where people can earn a high wage, where children can get an excellent education, where jobs can grow, where businesses can thrive. We're in agreement about that. Where we disagree, of course, is on the solutions to those problems. And the key thing here is that Many of the solutions that Steve identifies in the report, unfortunately, these are the solutions that have gotten us into this bad situation. He calls for more government, more taxes, more spending, more wage mandates, more privileges to, to government union leaders. Um, and what, what each of these doesn't deliver is more opportunity for Pennsylvanians. If you look across the world, if you look across the country, there is only one system that there, there is no system that has a stronger record of lifting people up than free markets and free market capitalism. This is about empowering people to create a society where everyone has the chance to succeed. And, uh, you know, I, I can't say this enough. We can't grow the economy by growing government. It has never worked anywhere else to improve Pennsylvania's economy so that everyone can flourish. We really need we need a pro job, pro growth policy, and we need to seriously rethink how government tax and spends, because in Pennsylvania, we've been going down the wrong path. In the past 25 years, Pennsylvania ranks 45th in job growth, 47th in income growth, and 48th in population growth. The, the, these, these figures are unacceptable. Pennsylvania deserves better. And the only way 
to get in a new direction is to empower individuals, empower people but, to reach their but dream. But part of, part of that question, uh, to, to address that a little bit, is um, part of that is I, I'm wondering, I, I'm genuinely curious how much of that is manufacturing has been on the decline, globalization takes over. Is Pennsylvania losing because of its policies or is Pennsylvania losing because the world around it is changing and Pennsylvania hasn't figured out how to match up with that world? Clearly, managing economic change is a challenge, but I'm still going to hold on to the basic view that the problem is policy at the federal and at the state level. But f first of all, let me address, because one of the points James made, um, and first of all, let me um, thank him for acknowledging that the economic trends for typical families um, uh, and typical demographic groups um, are not good and we need to do better. So that's that's a foundation. I, I think I hope we would all acknowledge that's, that's that a foundation for <laughs> losing income is not good. So, but what James tried to do immediately is talk about spending and talk about the size of the government. And this report, if you read it carefully and read our agenda to raise Pennsylvania's pay, carefully is more than 90%. It's not about the size of government, because that's not the issue. Oh, Steve, let, it very let, much let, is. Let me, let me, let me finish. Um, it's about um, who sees their wages and incomes rise before you get to taxes. That's where, so James, that's where most of the action is. It's, it's the increase in inequality before taxes that is hammering working families. Okay, so James, how do you... How until do you, James, I just want to break, break it down, because James sort of talked, he claimed that we were calling for more of the same policies, and that's just not right. If, well, you, look Steve, if you look carefully at our agenda, that's just not right. Steve, Be because nearly every, one, just, of, nearly James, every James, one of the solutions in this... No, you, but you, I haven't, because you, you've been going on for quite a while. You, nearly every one of the solutions in the report, which I have read, okay, is another mandate, another tax, another regulation, another policy that's going to extract money from one Pennsylvanian and give it to another. It, it's and that's not, not an, it's, that's it's, not it's, an agenda for growing the economy. That's an agenda so, for, so for, James, for shrinking the pie and redistributing it. So, James, let's, break, let's get beyond dueling assertions and let's break it down a little bit. Um, you claimed that we're talking about doing po more of the same policies of the last decade, 15 years, or 35 years. That's just not right. So let's take a couple of examples. One example is pay, where there are various things, the simplest of which is to raise the minimum wage that um, we could enact at the national level and in Pennsylvania. And the fact is that since 1979, the minimum wage has lost value in inflation-adjusted terms, has not kept up with the rising rate of productivity growth. So we've used very different policies than we did from the 40s to the 60s, where the minimum wage doubled in inflation-adjusted terms. Second point. Can I just ask Second you real point. quick, is no, the no, minimum no, wage a James, mandate or not? James, is James, minimum James, wage let me, James, uh, it's, is, is, is raising it's it not a, a tax. It's not about the size of government. It's about, it's, it's something that influences um, how much of income uh, folks in the middle and, and the bottom half get. Uh, it's a it changes the distribution of income. And makes them so, all right, so second, let me take a, second, me take a second, break second. here. You're listening okay. to Smart Talk on WITF. We're talking with Stephen Herzenberg. He's the executive director of the left-leaning Keystone Research Center and James Paul, senior an policy analyst with the right-leaning Commonwealth Foundation. I'm Ben Allen. More of the conversation is just ahead. You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF. I'm Ben Allen and for Scott Lamar. We're discussing Pennsylvania's workforce. What happened to wages? How do you create more jobs and more? Our guest
guest today, Stephen Herzenberg. He's the executive director of the left-leaning Keystone Research Center, and James Paul, senior policy analyst with the right-leaning Commonwealth Foundation. We welcome your questions and comments, and I am sure we are going to have a number of them today. Call one 800 729-7532, or you can leave a comment anytime on WITF.org or on our Facebook page. That's facebook.com slash WITF. Again, that number, 800-729-7532. Before we get to solutions, before we get to policies, I want to kind of lay out the facts and lay out where things stand, and I think we kind of jumped ahead. We've got a whole hour here. Let's kind of lay out the facts. So one of the things that I wanted to uh, to, to get at is um, how Pennsylvania compares to other states. Because there's there's a couple things that jump out at me. One is that um, nearly 70% of Pennsylvania's working age adults, so this is everyone between 18 and 65, not just um, not just people that can work, but everyone that's between 18 and 65, have less than a college degree. Um, how does that compare with with other states? So the first thing I'll say is, in general. The Pennsylvania experiences are a variation on national themes. So um, there are particularities about Pennsylvania, for example, like the loss of manufacturing jobs in the early 1980s that are different. You've just picked on another specific thing about Pennsylvania. Uh, We do have, um, in terms of the middle of the educational spectrum, a less educated workforce than typical nationally. Does that make a recovery more difficult? Um, not having people with a bit more than a college degree with, degree with what, what are called industry-recognized credentials, not having community colleges in rural parts of the state that help people get that additional uh, skill uh, doesn't help. Um, uh, so I think it's a factor. It's not, again, the, the income and wage trends we talk about are not that different than nationally. So that... Um, the fact that Pennsylvania has so many people with exactly a high school degree um, is a challenge for the future, and we absolutely need to invest in higher education to change that picture and partner with employers to get to give more folks the skills they need to get middle-class jobs of the future. We need to do those things, but that's going to be um, not going to make a huge impact by itself on wages and income. Okay. Okay, so uh, James, when you when you read this report, let's just again go back to the facts, not the solutions right now. When, when we go to the facts, do you do you um, what jumped out at you? What what jumps out is that Pennsylvania is not where it needs to be. Yeah. I mean, and we're in we're in agreement about this. And and Steve, I think there are a number of things that that we're in agreement. I think there are a number of solutions. Uh, I know you, we're not getting there yet, but I know there we'll are. We'll get there. We'll I, get there. I know there are some that we agree agree with. But it sounds like we do agree. Look, we're in agreement here that the the economy is not as dynamic as it needs to be. Um, on the whole, w- wages are not where they need to be. Um, the, no one is sitting at this table right now saying that Pennsylvania is the economic powerhouse of the United States and that uh, that we are a model for other states to follow. Certainly that is not the case. Yeah. So, so Steve, then, would you say that when it comes to lower wages, when it comes to or stagnating wages, when it comes to um, maybe uh, also wage distribution, uh, when it comes to even incarceration that the report talks about and how uh, there's been higher incarceration rates that have taken people out of the workforce. All of those are relatively consistent with 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 trends across the U.S. That's exactly right. Um, so, for example, 
the divisive context of this election, I think we all know, is, um, is a national phenomenon. It's not a Pennsylvania phenomenon. Now, we do know that because of the particular demographics of Pennsylvania, which is um, uh, more white than many states, and particularly the rural and western parts of the state are more white than the southeastern part of the state, um, Reagan Democrats and then um, have been a, have been a key player in Pennsylvania elections going back since to Ronald Reagan. And so um, it's not surprising, again, that, that uh, again and again, politicians are uh, trying to talk to those white men <laughs> and women that only have a high school degree and that have seen even more than other groups uh, except black men, uh, their wages um, and incomes uh, decline. They're trying to let those groups know that they, um, the politician feels their pain, and they're trying to offer different kinds of prescriptions in terms of turning that around. So that's, so that's the way in which Pennsylvania's a little bit different. Is, uh, it, okay. it, it sort of accentuates some of these national trends that are part of the divisiveness we're talking about. Want to go to uh, a caller here. Kathleen from Mechanicsburg is on the line. Kathleen, you're on Smart Talk. Um, thank you. Um, I was just listening, and it struck me that um, with the current policies, there already has been a transfer of money from one group of Pennsylvanians to another group, and that seems to be from the middle working class up to the rich. So can't we try a different set of policies that would try to even the playing field? So, James, let me put that to you. Unfortunately, you know, it reminds me of something that Steve said in his opening, which is he he openly admitted what he would like to do is is rig the economy to um, kind of reshuffle the deck. But isn't and that what policy does? Isn't that what policy does? The rig is a more inflammatory word, but doesn't policy set up how the parameters of the economy? What what good policy can do, and I would say we haven't had good policy good enough policy in Pennsylvania. Good policy can create an environment where businesses can grow, where people can thrive, where wages can increase, where new businesses can come to Pennsylvania instead of fleeing the state. Unfortunately, incomes and wealth, th these are not um, butterflies that are floating around that can be captured by politicians or by bureaucrats and then can be distributed uh, amongst residents. Unfortunately, it doesn't work that way. Um, the the solution is a pro growth is a pro growth agenda, and and the reason that I mentioned taxes earlier as as being as something that has to be discussed is that Pennsylvania is an ex is a very high tax state. Um, according to some estimates, Pennsylvania has the fifteenth highest tax burden, the highest gas tax, the highest cigarette tax, a new excise tax on e-cigarettes, the second highest corporate tax rate. Each of these things contribute to a climate where businesses don't want to come to Pennsylvania, set up shop, and, and create jobs. If you look at states with the lowest tax burden as a percentage of income, uh, Alaska, Texas, Nevada, South Carolina, these are states that enjoy higher income growth and more job growth than states with higher tax burdens, which are often in the Northeast, New York, Connecticut, New Jersey. I'm, I'm going to stop you right there because one of the things that I hear and that often gets mixed up in this discussion is causation versus correlation. And not to get too academic here, but I often wonder when I hear this, how much of this is 
caused by higher taxes and how much of it is correlated with higher taxes. And, and uh, let, let me put that to you, James, and then uh, Stephen, I'll, I'll jump to you. Well, look, I think it's I think it's fair to say that when when states when the evidence is clear that states that have lower tax burdens are enjoying more income growth, um, is that the is that the only factor at play? No, of course not. But I think it's and of course, uh, you know, correlation is not causation. I wouldn't suggest otherwise. But I think it's an important factor to keep in mind uh, that states that have a pro growth policy have higher incomes and more jobs. Uh, they also have more residents that are going that are attracted to the state. Uh, it's actually it's it's remarkable the number of residents that have left Pennsylvania in the last year. Uh, in 2015, Pennsylvania lost over 40,000 residents in uh, to other states. That's one resident every 12.5 minutes. Now, you know, we do, do we know the exact reason why each one of those people left Pennsylvania? No, but certainly, and and you can you can. Uh, learn this from talking to business leaders and talking to friends and neighbors. A big reason for that is is a climate that is not conducive to uh, to economic growth and to having um, being able to raise a family and, and have a good life. Is part of that climate not conducive to economic growth because people feel like the gains are going to the top one percent? Uh, I don't I don't think there are examples of people leaving Pennsylvania. To go to other states because gains are going to the top one percent. To be, to be honest, I think people don't spend a lot of time looking at how their income compares to the top one percent. I think what people want is an agenda that's going to essentially grow the pie for everyone. Instead of taking a set amount of income and trying to ar arrange it in a new way, what we need to do is find a way to let everyone's incomes grow. The best way to do that is through free market solutions. All right, I want to thank Kathleen for the call. And then, Stephen, let me go uh, to uh, another call here. Darren from Schaefertown is on the line. Let me see if I can work this system right. And, Darren, uh, you are on Smart Talk. Uh, good morning. Thanks for taking my call. Good morning. Can good. you hear me? Yes, go ahead. Okay. Uh, yeah, I hear, you know, a lot of... Uh, passion between right and left and, and uh, disagreement a lot um, and between your guests too. But I would like to accuse both of them of despair and uh, not not being willing to see the most hopeful outcome for the economy and for ordinary people. And I would say that would be small business and the rejection of both big government and big, big business. Um, I think the most beautiful thing people see is well-maintained, well-managed smallness and uh, just the ugliness of our modern world and everything being like stripped bare and made, made for, you know, production from big machines and stuff. It's just ugly, I think. So, and, so, uh, yeah, go ahead. so looking at the, the, the economy as a whole and the job picture as a whole, where do you think the, the effort should be devoted? The effort should be um, that, that, local government should take care of local problems and that maybe we should try to get out of so much shipping and uh, demanding so many goods that maybe aren't in season if they're agricultural goods and uh, maybe traveling less and just using using less energy and uh, yeah okay so, uh, well, well Darren thanks for the call Stephen sure. let, me, let me go to you one sure. of the things that you guys actually brought up in your report was trucking right. uh, and, and you hear uh, Darren mention that in the call um, Trucking is a big industry in Pennsylvania. Sure. Well, I mean, first of all, uh, um, I agree with Darren that um, 
we sh we should be able to be optimistic. I mean, we we have had phenomenal technological changes in the last several decades. We're gonna we got more to come. Um, if we could get our act together, we could be talking about how we make the benefits of that productivity growth improve lives for everybody, which again, I'm glad to hear that James and I both agree that that really should be the kind of economy we want that improves everybody's lives. And part of that discussion is Darren's suggesting needs to be, uh, we need to be realistic about what our environment can, can, uh, can withstand in terms of growth. Um, uh, and trucking and travel. Um, and um, we also need to recognize that in terms of small business, the bunch of trends, technological trends, that many people think now is gonna create a new age of dynamic small businesses. People talk a lot about reshoring. Uh, we've done a lot of offshoring jobs, as you referred to earlier. Um, so um, I'm fairly optimistic. But I do wanna go back to quickly to something that Kathleen said and to part of James' response to that. James, um, Kathleen basically said, haven't we stacked the deck against typical middle-class families for some time, and we've had that redistribution of income, and don't we want to reverse those policies? Uh, and she's spot on. And James's response was, again, to talk about Pennsylvania's taxes, et cetera, but that's not where the action is. Um, Pennsylvania's over total state budget revenues are in the low 30 billions every single year in Pennsylvania, because of the increase in income inequality since 1979, more than $50 billion a year is transferred from the 99% to the 1%. So um, again, most of the ball game in terms of how typical families are doing is what they earn before taxes and because of a set of policies like let's not raise the minimum wage, let's weaken unions, uh, let's uh, have um, uh, so-called austerity where the government doesn't invest in the future at the federal or state level, therefore we slow down the economy, we increase unemployment, wages don't rise as much. A whole set of policies that, again, are exactly what the Commonwealth Foundation still recommends are driving uh, that um, redistribution of income to the top. We gotta flip that if we want a family, that economy that James and I both want that benefits people generally, and then we can try to create that positive picture that our last caller was talking about. And I want to go to a, a caller uh, that wants to push back a little bit on the um, $15 an hour and thank Darren for uh, the call. But let's go uh, to DJ here. DJ is in Hershey, and DJ, you are on Smart Talk. Yeah, let's go with income first. Uh, jumping the minimum wage to $15 would really put too much of a shock on it the whole economy. Jump it to like $11. And then in two years, two more dollars, and then two more years, two, do two more dollars. That would, you know, wouldn't put a shock on a lot of businesses. And then also on taxes. Then, you know, you got to do it on the taxes too. Uh, everybody should pay their percentage of tax. Uh, if you make $3,000, you get XYZ percentage taken out. If you make $100,000, you get XYZ percentage taken out. So it's level playing field and no deduction error so so what would you say to that Stephen? i'm the caller's right on target um uh, fifteen dollars an hour in uh, Pennsylvania. But he's saying fifteen is too much. No, no, right? I know, I know, okay. I know. I'm, I'm okay. gonna let me okay. finish my sentence. Okay. <laughs> Turn into James here. Just kidding. Um, no, that would be a lot um, in one jump in Pennsylvania, particularly parts of the state. So the idea of going to eleven um, and then uh, 
putting in place a plan to go further after that makes a lot of sense. I was uh, pleased to find out that the Lehigh Valley Chamber um, last week, uh, I think it was, came out in favor of a nine. Uh, 25 an hour minimum wage in Pennsylvania uh, with the idea that maybe the minimum wage should be higher in certain places such as Philadelphia and Pittsburgh than it is in other parts of the state. So, And then the other part of it in terms of the tax percentage, again, the caller's right on target. The reality in Pennsylvania, even though I'm trying not to talk too much about taxes and spending and the size of government, the reality in Pennsylvania, as our report points out, is that um, the top 1% pays about 4% of its income in state and local taxes. The middle in Pennsylvania pays about 10% of its income in state and local taxes. And the bottom fifth in Pennsylvania pays about 12% of its income in state and local taxes. So we don't have a levying level playing, playing field because, because property taxes and sale taxes take out more of the income of middle and low income people than they do top income people. So if we could start pushing up the minimum wage systematically and make our tax system fair, and we have specific ideas in a report about how to do that, um, that would be two giant steps towards an economy that works for all. James, let me reset, and then we will, uh, I'll get I'll get you to uh, respond to Stephen's points. You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR News and all things regional. I'm Ben Allen, and we're talking today with Stephen Herzenberg. He's the executive director of the left-leaning Keystone Research Center, and James Paul, senior policy analyst with the right-leaning Commonwealth Foundation. We welcome your questions and comments. Call 1-800-729-7532, or you can leave a comment anytime on WITF.org or on our Facebook page. That's facebook.com slash WITF. Again, that number, 800-729-7532. James, let me get you to respond now uh, to uh, Stephen's uh, contention about um, minimum wage and, and where uh, people are paying uh, taxes. Well, here's the key thing to remember about the minimum wage and raising the minimum wage. No matter what Steve says or what the politicians in Harrisburg or Washington, D.C. say, the minimum wage is always zero for those who don't have a job, okay? The minimum wage is a job killer. Uh, it will hurt. It is a, Raising the wage will hurt the very people that it is intended to help. This has been the experience in cities and states who have, who have experimented with increasing the wage. Let me tell you, this, let me tell you a quick story um, about Wes and Deanna Perry, who own and operate a mom-and-pop grocery store. It's called Mintier's Market in Claysville, Pennsylvania, Washington County. They employ about four employees at their grocery store, four full-time employees who make more than the minimum wage. They also empl employ about five or six high school students who work part-time and earn the minimum wage. And according to Wes, if the minimum wage was increased to $10.10, $11.15, every one of those high school part-time workers would be laid off for, for A, and B, the mom-and-pop grocery store would have to raise price. Their margins are so tight, they would have to raise prices to an extent that they would essentially be priced out of business. They could not compete with larger, with larger grocery stores down the street. And, and th this, this is uh, economic reality. Um, IFO, the Independent Fiscal, Fiscal Office for the state, last year projected that a, even a $10.10 minimum wage uh, could result in 31,000 jobs lost in Pennsylvania. Uh, so unfortunately, and, and that's why I, I brought up the minimum wage earlier as being kind of a more of the same solution, because it is a mandate on business that makes it harder to grow, to employ people, it makes labor more expensive, and it's not the way to turn around many of the, the poor economic indicators in our state. 
Um, I think the minimum wage is one of these issues where um, folks um, in the middle class of both parties actually understand that this is a modest tool that helps uh, rig the economy a little more to benefit working people. And that's, in fact, what the evidence and the history shows. Um, the minimum wage actually puts money in the pockets of hardworking people. It creates more economy-boosting jobs. As I said before, we doubled the minimum wage from the 1940s to the 1960s in this country. If you believe James, those must have been decades of very high unemployment. In fact, those were the decades of lowest unemployment in U.S. history. So um, I'm not going to bore you by going into more of the economic evidence, which is on my side and on the side of the regular people out there in our audience. But this is one of the simplest ways, the higher minimum wage, in which you can create an economy that benefits regular people more. At the end of the day, what James wants to do, he wants to resist slightly tilting the economy to help middle and low wage workers a bit more. He still wants to have an economy that's rigged to the 1%. You know, Steve, I'm not sure that the, the people that would lose their jobs in that grocery store are on your side in, in this side of the argument. Um, you know, do you disagree with the fact that a higher minimum wage is going to cost jobs? I mean, the question really is, how, sure. how many jobs, sure. is there an yeah. answer to this question? How many jobs are you willing to see lost in Pennsylvania to justify uh, slightly higher wages for people that are lucky enough yeah, to retain get, their I, jobs. I think you've got your facts wrong, clearly. Um, um, I gave you some economic history that showed you that a, a rapidly rising minimum wage is actually totally compatible with very low unemployment. That independent fiscal office study you mentioned uh, found that a 10-10 minimum wage would put $2 billion in the pockets of regular working Pennsylvanians. So again, there's only so far into the weeds we can go in this right, conversation. Right. Yep. But... Um, um, uh, on the issue of uh, employment levels, those are mostly controlled by factors other than the minimum wage. Um, if we have the Federal Reserve and the federal government running the economy to keep unemployment at 4% or below, uh, uh, we can also raise the minimum wage rapidly and it won't cost employment. Got to get a break in here. DJ, thanks for the call. DJ in Harrisburg with that call that started this whole minimum wage discussion. You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR News and all things regional. I'm Ben Allen. I'm Ben Allen, and for Scott Lamar, you're listening to Smart Talk, and today we're focusing on jobs in Pennsylvania, who is getting the benefits of a more productive economy, and what policies might change that. Joining us, Stephen Herzenberg is the executive director of the left-leaning Keystone Research Center, and James Paul, senior policy analyst with the right-leaning Commonwealth Foundation. Of course, we welcome your questions and comments. Call 1-800-729-7532, or you can leave a comment anytime on WITF.org or on our Facebook page. That's facebook.com slash WITF. Want to go to a call from Corey in Lancaster. Corey, you are on Smart Talk. Corey, you there? Oh, I guess we lost Corey. Let's go right to Alan in York. Alan in York, you're on Smart Talk. Alan, are you there? Go ahead. All right. Oh for 2. So far, we're off to a roaring start on the callers. Let's go to Carol in York. Carol in York, you're on Smart Talk. Hello. Well, apparently our callers are giving up on us, guys, but uh, let's uh, let's continue the conversation. So um, when we're talking about 
some of the the roles and and one of the things that uh, was brought up as a solution here in terms of uh, policies is um, paid family leave, mm-hmm. earned sick leave, graduated tax rate, all things that would need to be approved by the legislature. Um, what are the what are the possibilities of of something like that happening? Well, in pets. In Pennsylvania and across country, across the country, paid family leave is being put in place in more and more cities and states. So um, uh, Philadelphia already has um, what people sometimes call earned family leave because you have to work a certain amount and you get, you know, uh, maybe an hour or so every uh, 40 um, every week to build up your earned uh, leave. To some extent, um, earned, uh, earned leave is... Um, it reminds me of your, converse, your comments earlier uh, about the shifts in the economy and as Pennsylvania managed the switch um, uh, to a global economy and the shrinkage of the manufacturing se- sector effectively. Um, uh, paid family leave um, uh, and paid sick days are a delayed response to the fact that since the 1970s, more and more women with children, including young children, have ended up in the labor force. We've also got more single-parent families. So at, at the end of the day, um, those changes have meant there's a, a, a real tension between people's work and family responsibilities. And that, in turn, sometimes means that when people take time off to care for a sick child or parent, they end up losing their job. That increases turnover. It doesn't help the employer. doesn't help the worker. So bottom line is uh, these are examples of what we call 21st century labor standards. A lot of the right is actually thinks of itself as being very family friendly. Uh, and so from our point of view, um, these kinds of leave policies are simple accommodations to the changes in the workforce. Um, they do increase people's pay because it means um, they don't lose their job uh, and they get a bit of pay when they're off work. Um, and uh, so that's why we think Pennsylvania should join Philadelphia and Pittsburgh um, and a bunch of other states and uh, enact um a paid sick leave and and paid leave. James, what would the Commonwealth Foundation say to things like that? I know they would fall into your category of of mandates on on business, but what would you say to to things like paid family leave or earned sick leave or um, maybe a, a graduated tax rate? You know, I guess one man's uh, simple accommodation is uh, a business owner's um, mandate that's going to make it harder to hire and harder to grow new jobs, and harder to make Pennsylvania an attractive place to to grow a business. Um, It's a fact. It's why earlier I said that uh, the vast majority of the solutions in the report are more of the same, more government intervention, more mandates. Uh, And paid leave is something that sounds good in practice, but when you start to unpack it, you realize that it's not—it's not a, a good deal. Not as a—not as a government mandate. Okay, most employers will offer some form of paid leave, um, but workers will ultimately be laid off if this policy is forced upon them by Harrisburg or by or by Washington D.C. Um, essentially, making employees more expensive, which is another underlying theme of many of the, of, of Steve's solutions. Uh, that's not a way. To, to trigger economic growth. So from our point of view, again, as the economy gets more productive, and as we point out in our book, in our report, um, Pennsylvania's productivity is 71% higher now than it was in 1979. 
And there are a lot of people who think that productivity is going to go through the roof in the next 20 years because the robots are coming and there's um, a, a new, new era of automation. So, again, the basic issue is as productivity grows, do you want um, regular working families to receive some of that in their paycheck and in their annual income, or do you want it all to flow to the top? As productivity grows, do you want regular families to get some of that in paid time off, in more vacations, in shorter work time, as happens in many European countries, or do you want it all to flow to the top? So uh, our basic view is... Uh, yeah, we want the benefits of growth, productivity growth, to flow to the middle in the form of both higher wages and incomes and in the form of shorter work time. That creates a family-friendly Pennsylvania. It doesn't stop us from having an incredibly dynamic market economy. Want to uh, want to move on to, to some other stuff, and let's get a, a reset in here. You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF. We're talking with Stephen Hersenberg, Executive Director of the Left-Leaning Keystone Research Center, and James Paul, Senior Policy Analyst with the Right-Leaning Commonwealth Foundation. And one of the things that was brought up and that I have heard in my reporting in Harrisburg as well is the importance of ban the box. This is kind of starting to take hold across the nation. This is the box that you either have to check or a question you have to answer on applications that basically ask whether you've been convicted of a felony in the past. What kind of effect would that have on the job market, Stephen? Um, it's a pretty simple idea is um, we, we want, we, ha we have a, uh, actually a consensus that we want to, uh, from the right and the left, including in Pennsylvania, that we want to substantially reduce our incarcerated population. We also actually have lower unemployment than we've had, and we have an aging workforce. And so, and so maybe we have a confluence of circumstances in which um, those prisoners reentering uh, civil society actually you know, um, could get jobs and be valuable to employers. But um, right now, when people at the very outset of the application process have to check a box, um, too often they get ruled out from even consideration. So the ban the box is a, is a simple idea about let's not rule people out of the starting gate. And then it doesn't mean the employers can't do criminal background checks, but it, it means um, people um, get considered for employment. And again, the experience is um, uh, that that is um, something that makes a concrete difference to the opportunities that reentering prisoners have. W would that make sense? Without without getting too much into the specifics, I'd say that uh, responsible, reasonable criminal justice reform of of many stripes is an is an area that I think Steve and I can agree on um, as being something that Pennsylvania should pursue. Whether this um, means uh, reducing sentencing for nonviolent offenders, things of that nature, I think. Those are worth at least exploring, um, you know. And, and since since we're on the topic of agreement, I did want to mention uh, one other item that I think we can agree on, um, and that is the, the amount of corporate welfare spending that is in the state budget. I had that on my list. Oh, great, great, <laughs> Ben. I was just one step ahead of you. Um, in Pennsylvania, we, we are the the leader in the nation in corporate welfare spending every year, and and corporate welfare essentially grants perks, subsidies, special privileges to well-connected big corporations that get these privileges essentially by nature of having well-connected lobbyists in Harrisburg. Uh, almost $1 billion every year goes to horse breeders, filmmakers, even Amazon. Uh, Amazon in the last state budget received over $20 million uh, in, in various perks and, and, and subsidies. Um, 
and, you know, the contrast of that story, the, the handouts to Amazon, and, and you, you juxtapose that against um, some of these stories of, of e-cigarette owners, uh, individuals that own vape shops in Pennsylvania who are now facing a 40% arbitrary, obscene, quite honestly, excise tax on their products. At the same, and many are being uh, essentially forced out of business. You have small business owners, who a previous caller mentioned, who are facing the prospect of having to close up shop because Harrisburg decided to make a, a revenue grab. At the same time, we are breaking the backs of small business owners. State government has hundreds of millions of dollars each year to spend on film producers, Amazon. Uh, this certainly isn't a level playing field. This is a this is a rigged economy, and and I think if the first step that we should take, uh, you know, each year in, in our state budget negotiation is is cutting down on these examples of corporate welfare, which are not serving working uh, families in Pennsylvania. And and I know that both of you uh, agree on this largely, but what I do want to push back on is I hear from people. We've got to compete with those other states and those other states, and I'm sure you guys have heard it too. Those other states are going to offer them $25 million, and we've got to offer them $26 million to get them to come to Pennsylvania. Well, what do you say to that? Uh, I, we probably have an, an, a, another instinctive agreement here, which is to be skeptical of some of those claims. <laughs> um, uh, again, Amazon's not a bad example. $22.5 I think, was the subsidy that's promised. Um, Pennsylvania um, has the advantage of location, location, location. We're, we're um, very close to about a third of the consumer market in the U.S. We're fairly close to most of the manufacturing base of the U.S. Um, so so um, you're saying those shouldn't be needed? We, we, our folks are going to have to drive their trucks, as you talked about, through Pennsylvania. We, I mean, we should be talking about how to invest in our infrastructure to capitalize better on our, our location. Um, but but um, the fact is Amazon needs to be in Pennsylvania anyway. So I'm a bit mystified about why Amazon, uh, which has not got a reputation as a great employer in terms of how it treats workers, why they need 22.5% um, Million, so so maybe Commonwealth and we can come together before the next budget and sort of um, <laughs> and speak out more forcefully around eliminating some of that corporate welfare, including some of the state's tax credits. The the other response, Ben, to the to the argument of well, other states are are providing these subsidies to Amazon. You know, there's the old issue of the seen and the unseen. Okay, when you are providing these benefits to Amazon, which is probably on the margins producing some very small levels of economic growth in those areas, what you are not seeing is the foregone economic growth in areas that don't receive the subsidies, firms that have to compete with Amazon, workers that don't get hired or perhaps lose their jobs because they can no longer compete. So. Uh, the the argument that well we have to keep up with what New York and Ohio and Maryland are doing um, doesn't pass muster, not when it comes to subsidizing Amazon. Got to uh, got about five minutes here and uh, don't want to get too much into minimum wage, but we do have a caller. Andy from Lancaster is on the line. Andy, you're on Smart Talk. Hey, thank you. Minimum wage was never meant to be a standard for a family to live. It was always meant to be entry level. Okay, right now you're knocking most of the young kids out of any kind of start job. Think about a supermarket that has baggers, right? You're going to pay $15 for someone to bag groceries, right? The way you raise the wages is by supply and demand. When there's plenty of jobs and employees need them, they have to pay more, right, when there's a shortage of workers. 
you know, 90% of the jobs in the past were high-paying. Now you've got people who are used to high-paying going for minimum wage living. Second, real quick, the check the box by getting rid of it will do nothing unless you take care of the liability issue. If somebody comes out of jail and they stole something, they can't get bonded. So who's going to hire them? If you have a hotel and you have liability issues, are you going to hire them? Are you going to have somebody deal with medicines? You have to deal with the liability for the business, uh, somehow come up with another kind of insurance or something, The businesses can't afford it because they're going to get sued. If they hire someone who's an ex-criminal and they know it, think about the liability issue. Now, I'm not saying people don't deserve another chance. That's not what this is about. Yeah. Check the box is nothing. It doesn't mean nothing. They're still going to have problems getting jobs. Andy, thanks for the call. Andy, Thank thanks for the call. Let's go to you, Stephen, on the uh, question of minimum wage first. Um. I think we have hashed this out enough. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, again, my read of the evidence is that we can have a higher minimum wage and low unemployment. Uh, in terms of Andy's second suggestion about ban the box being at, at, at most the beginning of a conversation about the things we have to do um, in conjunction with um, reducing our prison population, um, I'm on board that, and maybe James is, uh, you know, as well. All right, so we got about two minutes left here. I want to get closing thoughts from from both of you, James. I'll go to you first. Um, just you know, when you look at the the picture, the employment picture in Pennsylvania, um, kind of how do you assess it, and where do you see it should? Uh, how do you see it moving forward so that uh, there is that kind of growth that that we all want to see? One topic that we didn't get a chance to get into today uh, is is education and the need for. Uh, I, I would say widespread education reform in our state. Um, when I see the statistics that wages aren't where they need to be, where people aren't moving up the ladder the way they need to, I think you have to point to an education system which, that is not adequately preparing our kids to grow and to thrive. Uh, we recently saw uh, the most recent round of PSSAs, uh, standardized test scores were released several weeks back. 31% of our eighth graders are proficient essentially on grade level in math, 31%, uh, 58% in reading. Uh, these numbers aren't good enough. There are certainly n numbers, dozens of schools where proficiency in these topics is in the single digits in Pennsylvania. And I would say that uh, you know, a good note to end on from our perspective would be the need to empower, empower parents with options when it comes to education um, and give, give every kid, child the tools they need to, to grow and to thrive. And Stephen, let me go to you for just about a minute here. Everyone agrees in high quality education. We don't agree on exactly how to get there. But here, I want to go back to um, the original basic points. Listen, we did this report to show every uh, significant demographic group in Pennsylvania, an education group, whether they're white or black or Hispanic, men or women, without a four-year degree or with a four-year degree, everybody has not done all that well in the last 15 or 30 years. Um, so we feel your pain out there. But the second thing is don't get mad at other groups because they're not getting a lot of increases in wages and income either. The bottom line is we need to fix the policies that are pushing too much of the benefits of growth to the top. Uh, we've laid out a very specific uh, agenda to raise Pennsylvania's pay. Uh, we've contrasted it with 
the Commonwealth Foundation and legislative agenda, which we think concretely would lower Pennsylvania's pay, go to our website, keystoneresearch.org, read the state of working Pennsylvania, look at those two agendas, and come to your own conclusions. If we can overcome divide and conquer, we can have a great economic right. future in Pennsylvania, including for the middle class. Oh, well, well, we'll have to leave it there. Thanks to our guest today, Stephen Hertzenberg, Executive Director of the Left-Leaning Keystone Research Center, and James Paul, Senior Policy Analyst with the Right-Leaning Commonwealth Foundation.